0: Following the experiences of five very normal, very Christian, very American families, including those of former House Majority Leader Richard Gebhardt and Episcopalian Bishop Gene Robinson, Daniel Carslake's new documentary, For the Bible Tells Me So, reconciles homosexuality and biblical scripture, and in the process reveals that church-sanctioned anti-gay bias is based almost solely upon significant and often malicious misinterpretation of the Bible. For the Bible Tells Me So is on the Academy short list of nominees for Best Documentary. Carslake is an award-winning producer for the highly acclaimed news magazine In the Life, which airs nationally on PBS. Daniel Carslake, welcome to Film School. Hey, thanks. Great to be here. How, how are you doing today? You watching? I'm good.
1: I'm happy it's 2008. 2007 yeah. <laughs> was great, but 2008's going to be cool, too.
0: Yeah, all right. So are you watching the bowl games today?
1: I am a little bit later. i uh, yeah. I spent some time at s c, so I'm gonna be pulling for SC <laughs> oh, yeah, ball.
2: all right, oh, yeah. everyone's everyone's saying they're the hottest team in college football right now, so,
0: really? yeah. Well, Happy New Year to you. Thank Uh, you, you too. All right. How how did this film come about? How did For the Bible Tells Me So come about? Was there any particular moment where you said you've you've got to make something like this, or was this something that built in your life?
1: Well, Genesis was really sort of two-pronged. From my side, it started in my work uh, Within the Life, which you just mentioned, the news magazine on PBS. I had a lot of discussions with those executive producers when I was starting at the show back in the late 90s about the fact that they were never really talking about these conflicts that were happening within religious denominations in America between members that wanted to embrace gay people and members who wanted to not embrace gay people. Mm-hmm. And since In the Life was the only show on television at that time about gay and lesbian issues, I thought that they should probably at least talk about it because it was a very interesting, very sort of contentious time for a lot of denominations the Presbyterians, United Methodists, all of that. And so they, they allowed me to do a segment, not about that, but about a woman at Harvard who was in the divinity school there who was an openly lesbian woman, who was also a theologian. It was pretty groundbreaking because no one had really seen on television before a gay person who was a gay person of faith. and so. It was a bit controversial. It got a lot of attention, but the reason I mention it is because I personally had a very strong experience that came out of that. The day after that piece aired across the country, I got an email from a gay kid in Iowa, a teenager, and it was five lines. It said, last week I bought the gun, yesterday I wrote the note, last night I happened to catch your show on PBS, and just knowing that someday somewhere I might be able to go back into a church with my head held high, I dropped the gun in the river, my mom never has to know. Wow! And so yeah. you know, that really drove home to me that so much of what's said from a pulpit in this country really serves to diminish kids as they are realizing they're gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender. And, and so they not only face this sort of specter of being rejected from their biological family, they're also facing very often being rejected by their church family and and indeed in their minds by God. And so doing that piece made me realize how important it was that we told these stories, that that there were many, many people out there, many, many Christians who did not reject gay people outright, that they read the Bible in a different way than Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson. and Maybe there was a way to read it that didn't push these young kids toward suicide. So... I did a lot more work in that area for In the Life. And then in 2003, the other side of this story is a woman from Orange County, California, actually yes. very close to you guys, Robin boss, went to a local church and heard a sermon called What the Bible Really Says About Homosexuality. She was very stunned and moved by that experience. It was given by a man named Reverend Steve Kindle, who's a Presbyterian minister, former Marine, who had had his own kind of awakening on this topic in his life, and he indeed argued in this seminar in this conservative county in California that the Bible actually said virtually nothing about homosexuality as we know it today, and that all of this sort of condemnation is really misinterpretations. simply. So in 2003, Robin and I found each other and decided together to make this film. Uh, so I quit my job And we started making the film. About three and a half years later, we finished it and premiered at Sundance, which was amazingly cool.
0: All right. How did that go for you? I mean, what what were the memorable moments for you at Sundance?
1: I think, you know, Sundance is this big sort of whirlwind, amazing thing, especially for a first-time filmmaker. Mm -hmm. There was so much about it that was pretty off the charts. I mean, the press and just everything about it. But for me, because I made this film for a sort of a middle... America audience. I wanted it to be a film that spoke to people on every side of the issue so that they could hear what I was saying, not feel like I was telling them what to think. I mean, as you know, as you've seen the movie, there's no voiceover in the film. So people are telling their stories. They're Christians. They're conservative Christians who are talking about how it felt for them to find out that their child was gay and what their journey was from there. So because I made it for this sort of middle America audience, what I remember most about Sundance was those people who were in that demographic who saw the film and how they reacted to it. Because Sundance was the world premiere. I hadn't really experienced audiences seeing the film. And I was so struck, especially by many of the conservatives that saw the film. I remember there was a woman at one of our screenings who stood up, and she said afterwards during the Q&A, she said, You know, first of all, I'm a born-again Christian. I thought, okay, here it comes. And secondly, I just want to thank you for reminding the world about the real message of Jesus. She sat down. Wow. that That was incredibly striking to me because, you know, so often in this conversation about homosexuality and religion, there's so much screaming at each other. There's so much accusing of people being bigots or hating gay people. And on the other side, there's so much, you know, Christians are often trying to say that that gay people are trying to recruit and that they're evil and all of that. And it just felt like I wanted to make a film that kind of raised the conversation above that. So when that woman said what she said, and and I got a lot of feedback like that at Sundance. There were two groups of seminary students, one group from Fuller Theological Seminary uh, in Pasadena, California, which is a very conservative seminary. They were very taken by the film and asked me to come and speak to them for an hour the next day just about the topic, because they really wanted to explore it more. And the, the things I heard from them were amazing. One mm-hmm. couple said to me, I will never say, love the sin or hate the sin again, because now, after seeing the film, I understand how violent that must sound, not only to the gay person, but to their family and their friends and the mm-hmm. people that love them. For me, Sundance, the, the most memorable thing was the incredibly positive response to the film.
2: Your invitation to Fuller, were you there to talk about Biblical passages as much as you were about the film.
1: I think you know. I think it was a little of both. I think whenever, whenever anybody talks about equality for gay and lesbian people, no matter where you are in the spectrum, whether you're very religious or not religious at all, if you do not believe gay people should have equal rights, it almost always comes back to the Bible, yeah. whether you've ever read the Bible or not. Right. So with right. this group, I think it was a little of both. I, I remember at the end of that screening, looking at them as that as the staff person introduced himself during the Q&A and said, you know, I'm here with a bunch of students from Fuller. As he was talking, I was looking down the row at each of them, and each of them looked just sort of completely undone by the movie. They had been crying, and they looked confused and upset, and and I think they just needed to talk. You know, a number of them said things to me like, you know, I think I'm one of those people that just believed what I was told from the pulpit and never really opened up the Bible and looked Mm. at what these scriptures supposedly say, and just knowing what I've said personally against gay people, I find that just so incredibly upsetting. If nothing else, this movie has made me open the Bible and really decide for myself. And that's you know that's all I can ask for.
2: Right. right. If
1: people, you know, if people are going to use scripture to keep rights from people or to make decisions about who's in and who's out or whatever you however you want to talk about it, they need to at least open it up open up that book themselves, read it, understand the context and the culture and the time in which it was written, and then it's up to them to make the you know that decision.
0: We're speaking with Daniel Carslake, the film is for the Bible tells me so. You have something, Mike? Well, I
2: just wanted to say I was just going back to that point briefly and that for people who consider this themselves people of faith and Bible readers and churchgoers, it's got to be unnerving to watch your film and hear these stories and, and, and see what you've, you've put together here and not wonder what else in the Bible might not be exactly as I've been told. It, it's got to be, in, in some, some level, sort of a, a disconcerting experience for them.
1: Yeah, I think especially because so much of the misinterpretation is yeah. also sort of done in the name of making people fearful. Yeah. There, there's so much fear connected to just the, the homosexual subject when it has to do with the Bible, and there are so many more things that have been pointed to. I mean, one of the things you look at as you look at sort of societal movements is how many times the Bible has been used to keep other people back. You know, right. the Bible was used so handily against Africans during slavery in this country, and it was, it was only when African Americans, once they were here, took the Bible, opened it up, and went, wait a minute, what? That's not what it says. That's when they took hold of the Bible and took yeah. ownership of it. That's when they were able to fight that use of the Bible to hold them back. Women were also subjugated because, within the use of the Bible, people use the Bible all the time to point to Paul's letters and say, see, a woman should not be speaking out in church. A woman should be sitting behind her husband, all of that. And it wasn't until women finally said, you know what? Wait a minute, that's not really what the context of this scripture is. It's actually this.
2: It was well into the... Many centuries in to uh I'm gonna say the I don't know exactly know the dates, but it was a, a violation of law to read the Bible if you weren't a clergyman. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, and,
1: and really really until recently, I think as yeah. recently as the seventeen hundreds when you I were caught to... with the Bible in yeah. certain countries in Europe you were you were executed. Yeah. Because um clergy did not want anyone interpreting scripture except them.
2: Yeah. So, I
1: mean, that's really very interesting and very important to how we understand Scripture now and why yeah. why I think we still so often look to clergy people to tell us what it says rather than opening it up and really deciphering it ourselves, which I think is what is most important, because people can be led to do so many things. And, and people, as Peter Gomes from Harvard says in the film, you know, people look for th- an excuse for their own bigotry in the Bible, very often. If you're looking for that, you're going to find it. The Bible says a lot of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, if anyone actually really tried to follow everything the Bible said, I, I just don't think it would even be possible.
0: You followed five different families during this. All of them were extraordinary. The one I found touching in an extraordinarily sad way was Mary Lou Walner, whose yeah. daughter committed suicide. She's doing something about it. She's brought herself around. Could you just talk a little bit about her and the experience you had with her?
1: Mary Lou's story is unfortunately incredibly common, and it really was the one that touched so closely to me because of that earlier email I mentioned to you from the kid in Iowa who was going to kill himself. Her story is very typical in that she was brought up in a very conservative Christian sect called the Plymouth Brethren, She was taught all of the usual things about the evils of homosexuality, that it wasn't just evil, it was like the most evil thing you could do. And then her daughter, Anna, when she was a freshman in college, wrote her a letter saying that she'd known for years and slowly realized that she was a lesbian and she felt like she wanted her mother to know because they had such a close relationship. And Mary Lou proceeded to pretty much beat Anna over the head with her Bible for the next uh, couple of years, so badly that Anna ultimately committed suicide which was you know pretty much about the worst thing that could happen to a parent now the thing that's so ex- extraordinary to me about Mary Lou is that when something like that happens and she openly admits uh that she killed her daughter in a very real way because of how she treated her mm-hmm. uh because of her her lesbianism when something like that happens i think the more common response is for people to go deeper into their belief that it's evil, so that they'd feel okay about it. They say, well, you know, at least she's with God. I see that a lot. But the amazing thing about Mary Lou is when about a year after Anna had passed, she woke up one day and kind of in a panic said, the Bible actually does say everything that I told Anna it said, right? Because she was, again, one of those people that just believed what she was being told rather than deciphering it herself. So she opened the Bible, engaged in this incredibly detailed, long Bible study of those seven passages that supposedly uh, refer to homosexuality. She emerged from that realizing that she had been wrong, that the Bible actually does not condemn gay people for how God made them. And so she has dedicated her life to traveling around primarily to churches to talk about her story and to warn parents and plead with parents not to make the same mistake that she made with Anna. So it's you know, it's this incredible transformation, and if you know, if religion is about anything, it's about transformation. So I, I think it's a great story.
0: On the other hand, there is the story of Episcopalian Bishop Gene Robinson. I felt that the most inspiring and and so uplifting to see him become a bishop and the way the Episcopalian Church reacted to that. And and not all the Episcopalian Church has reacted positively to, to those sorts of things, but it's 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 great to see that that congregation recognizes the difficulty that they're in and and takes a, a dramatic step forward by, by making him a bishop.
1: Well, the Episcopal Church has really put a lot on the line by yeah. electing and then consecrating Gene Robinson because he's the first openly gay bishop in the history of all Christianity, actually. Mm-hmm. Wow. Not just the Episcopal Church or the Anglican Communion, which is what it is part of. Worldwide. I mean, Gene likes to say that he's certainly not the first gay bishop, but he's the first one who's being honest about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's just that statement is a very interesting thing to ponder when you think about religion and what religion talks about and and teaches about honesty and not lying. Yet he is the very first worldwide to yeah. be open about who God made him to be. So. You know, the Episcopal Church USA has taken great risks. It's lost a great deal there in Orange County and in and, and Fresno. The Diocese of San Joaquin just pulled away from the Episcopal yeah. Church USA. And the Anglican Communion is really in trouble worldwide. But you know, this started way before Gene Robinson. It's what started thirty years ago when women were first ordained by the Episcopal Church. The same many of the same people who do not believe that women have a place in the pulpit, are the same ones who are screaming loud and furiously about Gene Robinson. Yeah. So you just have to really look at, look at how these denominations deal with these things, and look at the fact that the Bible, if the Bible is what you are using as your pattern to live and your pattern for ministry, if the Bible talks about ending poverty 2,000 times, clearly <laughs> and maybe possibly refers to homosexuality seven times.
0: Yeah. No, it,
1: you know, where 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 should your priorities maybe be? Yeah. Mean, it's very just, sobering how this you know this all proceeds.
0: You really have to stretch those passages too to imagine that they're uh, condemning or saying that homosexuality is an abomination. Because I mean, in the same passage, they say uh, uh, it's an abomination. They also say that eating shrimp is an abomination, I think. Is that, am I correct right. on that? Yeah. Right. It's, 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 why do you think, after making this film, have you gotten more insight into why uh, it is that there is such a divide over this? And why it's such, an, uh, you know, it's such a divisive issue where there are so many more important things in the world uh, that we need to deal with?
1: Well, you know, it's really interesting to look at sort of the history of the literal reading of the Bible because people think about conservative Christians as, as people who are literalists. who take, thou shalt not lie with man as he does with woman, it is an abomination, literally, instead of understanding that, first of all, the word abomination, toevah" in the original Hebrew, Toevah didn't mean an offense to God. Abomination didn't mean the worst thing you could do to God. Yeah. Abomination simply, very simply meant Against ritual, so in other words, a toeva or an abomination in that use of the word today would be, for example, driving through a red light without stopping. Our ritual is stopping at the red light. Yeah. But yeah. a toeva or an abomination would be to drive straight through it. And there were reasons for the holiness code, which is the Leviticus passage we're talking about. Yeah. You know, people also don't realize that the word. You know, there, there are a couple passages in the New Testament that use the word homosexual. Well, the word homosexual didn't even appear in a Bible until 1946. Now, that's very recent, given the fact that the Bible was supposedly written 2,000 years ago. I think what happens is people get caught up in movements, and people. there's also this, this need for us to create an other. We talk about that in the film that humankind has a history of creating an other right. in the Jewish people or black people or some, whatever it is, and right. now gay and lesbian, bisexual and transgender people are the new other. So people use the bio, are using the Bible against gay people the way they used it against blacks and the way they used it against women. It's sort of like if we do not remember the past, we are condemned to repeat it. Right. We conti- continue to do it over and over and over again. We're and it's a lot about fear.
2: We're speaking with Dan Carslake, and the film is For the Bible Tells Me So. And congratulations on being on the short list, the Academy shortlist, which yeah. means that uh, you're in the final 15 films that are being considered for the Academy Award nomination for documentary. Congratulations on that. Yeah, any-
0: thanks. That's a big thrill. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. can imagine. Do you have any... Uh- are are you uh, planning on anything? Are you have you prepared yourself? Do you do you meditate <laughs> or pray or anything on account of that?
1: You know the film uh, the film which it opened in theaters in October and continues to open across the country even as we speak. And mm-hmm. I think in January we open in Pittsburgh and Chicago again and a whole bunch of places. We're also starting to really get a lot of screenings in churches and schools.
2: Yeah. I so that.
1: really, what I'm very much committed to and focusing on is just making sure those kinds of screenings go well and that I'm as available as I can be. The whole academy thing is incredibly flattering and exciting, and to be in the sort of semi-final of it all is really great. But really what it's about is reaching people and just having these conversations across the country, because if, if more people just have the conversation and understand that it's not a given or a done deal that gay people are condemned by the Bible, And maybe we'll start to save more lives and that people will start just embracing people as people more. So really, that's what it's all about for me.
2: I'm going to steal a line from the clergy and say the good news is that all the uh, demographic polling and all the rest of it shows that the generations uh, that are on their way to adulthood do not look at uh, homosexuality as a prejudice seems to be diminishing among the younger People, yeah. and it's a terrific film and deserves to be seen. The film, once again, is for The Bible Tells Me So. Dan like thank you so much for being here on Film School.
1: Hey guys, it was my pleasure. Thanks, and thanks again. Happy New Year.
2: Happy New Year.
0: To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews or subscribe to our podcast... Visit our website at KUCI.org slash film school.